Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you today about grace, grace, and living a life of grace. That's what Jesus intended us to do. Uh, some people say that grace is unmerited favor, undeserved provision. I, I like that definition. Uh, the Bible dictionary says that grace combines two ideas. First, an attitude or disposition of goodwill and favor. And the second is this goodwill is given freely and unconditionally. So when we talk about a God of grace, we talk about a God who wants us. He's got a disposition for us to have goodwill and favor. And then he's determined that his grace would give, be given freely and unconditionally. You don't deserve the grace that God gives. He just gives it to us. And the Bible says that we are saved by, by, by grace. It's a free gift. We don't earn it. I, I love what Mark Twain said, heaven goes by grace. If it were that it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah. So John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of full of grace and truth, that Jesus would be God in the flesh. And so even as you, you look at that little uh, portable, <laughs> sealed communion that you were given, there's a little, little bread in the bottom of that to remind us that Jesus Christ took on a body that he actually left heaven's throne. You can read about it in Philippians 2. And he came to this earth and took on a body for us. Why? Someone asked me recently, why did God have to come and take on a body for us? Well, he had to be our sacrifice. In other words, he had to be like us. And many of you know that in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice lambs. They would actually, sorry, everyone, it's kind of gruesome, slit their throats and let the blood run out upon the altar. And that's why Jesus in the flesh is called the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist even said, I see him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then in John 1.16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received what? Grace upon grace. Now, unfortunately, our rivers around here, well, not so much. The San Inez River, when I arrived at Lompoc uh, in 1986, some old timers I met at the old Moore Mill and Lumber store over here. Anybody remember? And I saw a whole counter of fishing gear. Now, some of the, the lures and some of the, the, uh, the, the weights and some of the line, it looked a little dated. Some of the lures were tarnished. And I said, hey, guys, what is it? Oh, this is for fishing. Fishing where? The San Inez River. I said, really? Oh, yeah, man. We used to get steelhead that would spawn and come from the northwest down into Ocean Park now and come up the San Inez River. 
And before the dam called Kachuma was put in there, man, the fishing was good. Now, I like to go fishing. So I went out there, man, and it was drier than dry than dry. And I thought, how foolish would I have looked with the nice pole and line and a lure going out, right? I would look foolish, bringing it back among the sand. But think about it this way. Let's say there's a real, real vibrant river that's full of water. And then a reservoir is made. And as the water spills over the spillway down the river to refurbish or replenish the aquifers downstream so the farmers can water their crops and their fields. Think about the dam, what it's able to do, electricity to light and heat our homes, power for our appliances, water to drink, irrigation, recreation, a park with a beach and swimming in the hot summer days, fishing in the river, fishing in the lake, water skiing, wakeboarding, sail, sailing around, kayaking. I mean, just the list goes on and on of things that a full reservoir can provide. And that's the one picture I want you to see of the grace upon grace upon grace that God gives us. It's like a reservoir, but this one is never depleted. That God blesses us according to his riches in glory. This is grace and truth. Uh, Cliff alluded to it yesterday. I had the privilege of standing next to the jumpy house, the net side, right? And these two little boys who were part of LFC, they got out of their car. They were running up to the jumpy. I mean, they were running, could care less about mom and dad in that moment. And they got into the jumpy and they were jumping and they were laughing and there was fun and there was joy. And once they recognized that I recognized them, they jumped higher. You know, and I started singing and being silly with them. And as they were jumping up and down, I was thinking about communion today and this verse grace upon grace upon grace, jumping upon grace upon grace upon grace. Now, what does that have to do with communion? Everything. Because God wants his grace to be like the dam spilling over the spillway into your life. And God has already graced you with so many blessings, has he not? Come on, grace upon grace. He's taken his disposition and made sure that you were well taken care of, not just today, but all the way into eternity. He wanted you to have the unmerited favor of God, the mercy of the Lord, the grace of God of the Lord. And so as you pull back your little tab and the bread pops out, let's see if you can do that, all right? And the bread pops out. I want you to just to hold that bread for a moment and think about the last time God graced upon you, that God shed his grace on you. And then as we get ready to eat that bread, I want you to consider this fact that God wants to continue to pour out his grace upon you. It's not a one and done. He constantly pours out his grace. And he wants you to be filled with, like those little boys in the jumpy house, with fun, with laughter, with joy. 
because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord gave his life for us because his heart had a disposition towards gracing you with forgiveness and with mercy and with eternal life and with the gifts of the Spirit and with hope and with joy. And whatever it is you need today from God, as you eat this bread, would you remember Jesus and all that we need is in him. So let's eat the bread. And then the cup, that's the the top little part there. We drink the cup because we remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us. For all of the forgiveness of every sin we would ever commit. That there's nothing that's gone too far that God cannot redeem. And I'm so grateful for that. And so, Lord, we thank you for your, your body. We thank you for your blood. And we receive it with gratitude. The words of the great hymn writer Charles Wesley says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And we receive with thanksgiving and with remembrance the blood of Christ and the body of Christ in Jesus' name. Go ahead and drink of the, of the cup, which reminds us of his blood for our lives. God is so good. Amen. Well, that leads me to my message today. That was all called introduction. <laughs> what would our lives be like? If we literally lived out the bread and the cup, if we literally lived out our faith, our time in the presence of God, our generosity, our capacity to love and and to serve others, I want to look at two prophetic callings this morning. The callings are found in Scripture, and one calling is Jeremiah, and one calling is the calling of Jesus, our Savior. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 8, some very familiar words. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I what? And before you were born, I I set you apart, or some uh, versions say, I ordained you. (laughs) I appointed you as a prophet to where? To, To the nations. That's important. Hold on to that. And alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. Haven't we heard this before? Moses used the same kind of line. And then I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, uh, this is the Fetterman paraphrase, knock it off, do what I say. (laughs) Do not say you're too young. Again, do not try to discredit or disqualify yourself from being used by God. You must go. And this was not uh, some suggestion. It was a command. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Every line in this call is significant. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you took your first breath, I already set you apart. We put a great emphasis on people saying, I'm finding my voice. I'm discovering who I'm supposed to be. 
I want to be seen by people. I want to be recognized for who I am. And now, while I hope and pray that everyone discovers their purpose and calling in life, part of this series about rising above is to live the life that Jesus intended for us to live. You see, the Bible could not be more bored with what we decide to do. The Bible could not be more bored with our ego or our pride that pushes us toward a goal we have set. Now, I believe you should set goals. Hear me. I believe you should set goals. I believe you should plan. But look at this passage. Before you were even able to make a choice, God says, I chose you, Jeremiah. Before you were even able to decide or have a vote in what you would do with your life in a career or a vocation or in ministry, I already ordained you and set you apart. I love this. We have the ability to make choices all the time. A couple of weeks ago, um, as a part of the Every 15 Minutes program that I've been a part of in our city for 17 years, I had the awesome privilege. I mean, I just I was so humbled by being asked to speak at the mock funeral that we do for uh, these, these students that are part of this program. And I got to speak to all the juniors and the seniors in their gymnasium. A pastor in a public school speaking to the juniors and seniors. No, 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 I don't need you to, I don't need you to clap. I'm just, I, yeah, yeah, but you, you go ahead, go ahead, clap. You got, you got to get out of your system, you know. What an honor. And I started by saying these words. You make your choices, then your choices make you. And when I said it, I did the, the, the orator pause. <laughs> you make your choices, then your choices make you. And it echoed in the gym. And there was a weightiness to that statement. I started my 10-minute talk with that, and I ended my miraculous 10-minute-only talk with, you make your choices, then your choices make you. And isn't it true? God allows us free choice, free, free will. But, but Jeremiah, I already chose what you were going to do before you had the ability to choose what you were going to do. And our assignment is that we must live in harmony with the calling and the appointment that God has for us. And when he says these words, he says, Jeremiah, your rebuttal doesn't count because I'm your God, because I will be with you and I will rescue you. Interesting, that Hebrew word rescue literally means salvation. I'll provide your salvation which connects with communion. But I'll also provide your salvation when the going gets tough and you don't know what to do. I will be your guide. We must live in harmony with the calling and the appointment that God has for us. And last week we saw Peter who denied the Lord three times and Jesus comes back and reinstates him in ministry. Peace be with you, Peter. And then Thomas, who was the doubter, Jesus appears to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Why? Because God will always take our deepest emotion, especially our negative ones, and turn them around for something positive. 
if we give them to him. What time I am afraid, the psalmist says, I will trust in you. When I'm overwhelmed, Jesus invites us to come to him and cast all our care upon him. God doesn't run from our doubt. He doesn't run from our disappointment. He doesn't run from our fear. He is with us. And so, Peter had gone back to fishing. It was his default. It was his comfort. Jesus called him to fish for men, and he goes back to fish for fish. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. No way, buddy. You're being satisfied living beneath your call. I have put something greater inside of you. Now, all of us know about acorns. Acorns can become trees. There we are. Inside the acorn... There is a tree. And a lot of people use this as a metaphor for what God has put inside of us. He he planted the acorn inside of us. And when we can identify what our tree is to be like, when we can identify what God has for us, what he's appointed us to do, and we participate and partner with that, great things happen inside of every one of you is a great tree. But you know, the power of the tree is not the tree. The power of the tree is the orchard it creates. Some people look at a tree and they, 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 they see shade. Some people look at a tree and they see fruit. Some people look at a tree and they see furniture. <laughs> but some people with a long rage heart, knowing when God breathes, when God appoints, when God anoints, it's not just a tree. It's inside that tree is the power for the orchard, the power for the forest. God has placed things inside of you. And I wonder how many of those things have yet to be realized. And we realize them by prayer. We realize them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We realize them by reading the scriptures. And the words come from there to here and then to now. And something becomes alive inside of us. So now, Let me give you this point. Jeremiah, number one, was appointed as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, you do not exist for yourself. You don't even exist for Israel, sorry. You exist for the world. The church, the body of Christ, does not exist for itself. Now, sadly to say, there are some churches that their whole vision and mission is self-preservation. They'll do anything they can to put, excuse my Latin word, butts in seats. They don't care what they do. We got to put butts in seats. We count nickels and noses. It's all about that. And that's what they'll do. They'll do any, they'll go to any stretch of the imagination. They'll do anything to keep themselves floating. Other churches like this one for 82 years has determined that the community outside its walls, the world outside its circumference or its immediate geography is too important, more important than the church preservation. It's the church outreach. It's a church ministry. It's to go into all the world and declare the good news. I read that somewhere. (laughs) Some churches are concerned with going to all the other Christians and preaching the good news and trying to get their butts in their seats. Not the plan of God, sorry. 
we, we, we are to bring the light of Christ to the nations. The church does not exist for itself. And God says to Jeremiah and to the church, you are to be about the nations. And we have the same promise that God gave Jeremiah. I will be with you and I will rescue you. Don't be afraid to open your mouth and tell someone about the love of God. Don't be afraid when the sheriff deputizes you to go be the posse of the disciples of Christ. Jeremiah. By the way, the people in Jeremiah's day wanted a prophet for themselves. But God called Jeremiah to the the nations. So Jeremiah... That's a backdrop. Now I want to go to Jesus, Luke chapter 4. Jesus, fresh from baptism and from the temptation of the devil himself, he comes to read the Torah, the scriptures in the synagogue. And when any Jewish male came to the synagogue, they were allowed to read the Torah. And no one told them what the daily Bible reading was. They could pick any text in the scripture they wanted and then give a brief comment about what they had just read. And so Jesus chooses to read from Isaiah. And many of you know, when you open the Torah, they read from the right to the left, not from the left to the right. And Jesus stands up. I I can see him. He, He went to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. This is local boy does good, right? And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, which was the custom, and he stood and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it's written, and here's what he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Jeremiah had the spirit of the Lord on him. Jesus now has the spirit of the Lord on him, and he was anointed. He was appointed to proclaim what kind of news to the poor? Good news, and he he sent me to proclaim what? Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. Many rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened, were fixed upon him. And he began by saying to them, this is his commentary on what he read, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They had been waiting for a Messiah. They had heard numerous people say they were the Messiah. They read prophecies about the Messiah, but this is the first time that Jesus stands up and says, I'm him. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. This scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus knows his identity. And what was he saying when he said this? He was saying, I have the power to give grace upon grace. I am full of grace and truth. I proclaim good news for people that are stuck in life. I I proclaim recovery of sight. In other words, revelation for those who are missing the truth of God. I am showing you the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will open up your eyes so you can have revelation of things you never knew before. And I will set the oppressed free. That's spiritually bound people. 
people that have dealt with past issues and hellish forces and you name it. And then I will declare God's year of favor. And many of you know about every 50 years, the debts were wiped away from everyone. I think if I was about to do that, I'd probably wait for year 49, get myself a big mortgage, and then next year, year 50, have my debt forgiven. Wouldn't that be smart? Somebody said, Pastor, you're dumb. I would have started the day before the 50th year. But anyway, anyway, anyway. God's favor. Huh. Did you remember when Jesus came? Glory to God in the highest. <laughs> Peace on whom God's favor rests. There's always this, this, this thread of God's grace and mercy running through all of the scriptures and all of the people that he called. And the second thing is, and it's a long fill-in. I'm sorry, I, did, I tried to condense it. It was three times longer when I wrote it. Jesus was not one more prophet among many, but the very incarnation of the divine presence in our world for salvation and transformation. I'm not just another prophet. I'm not just another maybe wannabe Messiah. I am him. And I love that, that Mark's gospel tells us that after Jesus did this, the people were negative. They were outraged and wonder how he could say such things. But in Luke's gospel, we're still in Luke 4, verse 22, all spoke well of him. And we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Then they said, uh, by the way, guys, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> what does that mean? We know Joseph the carpenter. We, we, we saw Jesus as, as a young kid growing up. A local town <laughs> favorite right here, man. Local boy does good. Now, why are they so happy about this? Because they heard himself announcing himself as the Messiah. They had heard of the deeds he had done, the teachings he had done. They heard. Local kid. What does that mean? He's going to take care of us. We got it made in the shade with lemonade, man. Jesus is our boy, local boy done good. He's going to take care of us. And isn't that the true problem in religion? That God will do for me and, and my family and my tribe the very things I want, and please forgive me. It's, it's still alive and well, not like it was in the 80s, but the prosperity gospel is still around. If I do this for God, he'll do that for me. If I name it and claim it, if I blab it and grab it, it'll come to me. Man, I pastored in those days <laughs> early on in L.A., man, where people used to say, if you just say the word Mercedes, it'll appear in your driveway if you have enough faith. I know I'm stretching only a wee bit, though. It was actually Cadillac, but anyway... And then Jesus upsets them because he goes on to tell two stories, Luke 4, 25 and 26. And you probably have read this before and maybe didn't make the connection, so I want to take you to Bible school for a moment. 
I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Elijah, wow, main prophet. And when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, in other words, no rain, there was severe famine throughout the land, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. Catch this. But to the widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, what does that have to do with Jesus saying, I'm anointed? Well, Sidon was outside of Israel. This woman was not a Jewish woman. And Elijah went to her. Do you remember? She had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and she says, I'm going to make a cake, and we're going to die because the situation is so dire. And Jesus is saying something very significant here, that the prophet of God, Elijah, went to a woman not in Israel, but outside of Israel. In other words, you want me to be your Messiah because what I can do for you, but I'm the Messiah for the whole world, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Jeremiah, I called you and anointed you for the nations, not just for Israel. And then in Luke verse 27, and there were many in Israel with leprosy. In the name of Elisha, we have Elijah and Elisha. These are the two heavy hitters, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was an enemy of Israel. Think about this. And Jesus somehow uses two illustrations of ministry to people outside the tribe, outside the culture, people who were nothing like Jesus, and people who are nothing like Elijah or Elisha. What's this have to do, Pastor, what does this have to do with me? Everything, everything. Because in Luke 4, 28 and 30, all the people in the synagogue were furious. A minute ago, they were amazed. A minute ago, when Jesus said, I have come, and they go, we know him. He's our buddy. He's our kid. He's going to take care of us. He's going to declare the year of God's favor. He's going to give us revelation. He's going to help our eye, our blind eyes see. This is, oh, wow, Jesus. And then the people in the synagogue were, just say the word, furious how quickly the crowd can change. You've never seen that happen. How quickly the crowd can change. And they got up and they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. This is religion. God, you're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not healing like I want you to heal. God, I can't believe that you allowed them to die. And people turn their back on God all the time. Because when he doesn't do what we expect him to do in the time that we expect him to do it, we can become furious with him too. And, and, and in my years of ministry, folks, I've heard more people say, I am mad at God. But you weren't yesterday. You weren't yesterday when he provided you with a job. You weren't yesterday when you actually understood the grace and salvation. You, you weren't. But, but, but God didn't come through the way you wanted it to, and the crowd is fickle, and they turned from him. Jeremiah, I've appointed you to the nations. 
Jesus, you're not just a punk kid from Nazareth. You're not just Joseph's son. You're God's son. Now catch this. God's calling to us is to live a life beyond ourselves. God's calling to us is to live a life beyond ourselves. We are the trophies of God's grace. In spite of all our mistakes, this God still loves us and wants to use us. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I beg you, I beg you to call upon him. I beg you to believe that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I beg you to receive his grace, invite his forgiveness to flood your life like the water over the spillway, grace upon grace upon grace. You see, God is always working in such a way that the grace he gives us is meant to be given away. I'll say it again. God is always working in such a way that the grace he gives us is meant to be given away. Jeremiah, I've, I've anointed you as a prophet to the nations. See, Jeremiah, the anointing is not just for you. It's for the nations. Jesus, I have called you to be the savior of the world not just for a group in Nazareth or even a group in Israel, but whosoever will may, may, may come. We celebrate his death. We, we celebrate the forgiveness of our sins that brought us to God. We embrace the power of the resurrection, not just to rise us up, but so that we might reach down and rise others up. You were not saved to save yourself. You were saved so you could be saved and you could save others. Think of the benefit that you have been given. And then think about this just, just, for, just for a couple seconds. Where have you benefited others? I know so many of you have gone out of your way to pray with people, to encourage people, to provide for people, to do things for people out of a generous heart of grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I hear stories all the time of people who say, I encountered someone from LFC and here's what they did and it's good news, not bad news. The people that impress me the most are not the prideful, not the controlling, not the arrogant, but the grace-filled people who add value to others who go out of their way to say, I've been given grace and I am going to give grace away. God is always working in such a way that the grace he gives is meant to be given away. The grace I've been given is not meant only for me, but to flow through me to others. What is grace? It's more than we deserve. What is grace? It's greater than we can imagine. What is grace? It is the gift that we have been given to give away to others. I would just love to declare this over your life today, that God has called you not just unto himself, though he has, but he's called you to the nations. And one great thing about Southern California and one thing about the Central Coast, the nations have come to us. <laughs> They're all around us. There's people that speak languages that I don't speak. 
There's people that eat food around here that I've never eaten before. Some looks intriguing, some not so much. Last time I checked in LA County, there's 129 languages spoken. Think about being a cop down there. (laughs) There are people in your neighborhood, and I would venture a guess there's people in your family that need to see a demonstration of a grace-filled life. That's you. So Lord, today we pray. We pray for those who've yet to receive your grace. And even now in this moment of contemplation that they would give their hearts and their lives over to you. And you could do that just by saying, Lord, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I ask you to save my soul. And for all of us, I would ask you to consider today, who are you being called to? And where have you yet to discover that little acorn of calling the Lord put in your heart? That seed of purpose. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. He, he, he appointed you and anointed you before you even took your first breath. Yeah, but I want to choose what I want to do. I, I want to choose. I would say choose God's way. I would say contend to find out what his call is on your life because he has one. And, and as we get older, different seasons sometimes change our call and our appointment, but never our anointing. And where have you been shown grace and miss showing it to someone else? God, we want to be people of your grace, living the life that you intended for us to live. A great greeting by the Apostle Paul in his writings is grace to you. Grace to you. Can we just say that? Grace to you. Great, great grace to you. Grace to you, all of you. And I would pray that God would use you that God would remind you of your anointing, your appointment to the nations, (laughs) to the people around you, to go into all the world and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he wants to save people because that's what matters the most. At the end of our lives, I think we will say this. I hope you will. I helped populate heaven. Isn't that great? I help populate heaven. And someday we'll get into heaven and you're going to see people that you never thought would make it. And some are going to look at you and say, I never thought you'd make it. (laughs) But wouldn't it be cool? I, I never believed. I worked with that person 30 years ago. I never thought that my life would have been a light in front of them. But here they are in heaven. And wouldn't it be cool, this probably won't happen, but let me just pretend for a moment, if people came running over and said, I'm here because of you, 
Now, we're all going to say this when we look at Jesus. We're here because of you, (laughs) Grace. But wouldn't it be cool to be able to say to someone else, I'm here because of you. I I won't bore you with the names of people that I want to tell. I'm here because of you. I got names, man. I've got names. You probably do too. I know Christ because of that person, or that person invited me to church, I got saved. That person had a Bible study at their house, I got saved. That person would constantly ask me to give my life to Christ, and I got saved. I pray this, that someday when you stand in heaven, the Lord's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's not going to say it because of your portfolio, your square footage, the money you made. (laughs) He will not be impressed. Yeah, but Lord, I drove a, he will not care. I would love him to say to all of you, well done, good and faithful servant, because you helped populate heaven, because you lived a life that was filled with grace. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, and may he bless you grace upon grace, and may you give that grace away in Jesus' name. Amen? We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.